Accessing library computer data. This computer terminal provides full access to the LCARS computer net. It can be operated both by voice and keypad commands. Greetings one and all. This is the Trex and Sci-Fi Podcast, and this is your host, Rico. It is Sunday, June the 4th, 2006. Wow, it's June already. Hey, this is uh, show number 55. And as usual, I think it's going to be a really good show. We're going to talk about everybody's favorite villain, Khan, and a few other things. So stand by. Here we go. Treks in sci-fi. Khan is my name. We offered the world order. How little man himself has changed. Well, welcome back to the show, everyone. This is again is Rico, and I'm your host for this uh, show, uh, this podcast. Uh, this is, uh, of course, the Treks in Sci-Fi podcast. Everything about Star Trek, Star Wars, uh, and everything in between, I guess. It's uh, kind of a lazy Sunday morning right now. I'm a little bit tired. It's kind of raining outside where I'm at. So uh, kind of uh, trying to get my energy level up and and get going here on the show this morning. I've got a little quiet time right now. It's about 9, 9.30 in the morning here. And I thought I'd do the show. What do you know? It's Sunday, and it's time for a podcast just going to talk a few minutes about a few things uh, in general, I guess, uh, what's been going on with me over the last few week, few week or this week. Um, yesterday I spent, last night I spent quite a bit of time with Dreamweaver trying to uh, rework the main page on the website. And I have to say it's, it's, a, it's a very good piece of software, very cool program, but there is so much to it and so many features in that that it, it was probably taking me a lot longer just to dig through trying to find what I'm used to doing in like front page and other uh, another other web web page excuse me web page builders so but I, I'm, I think I've got something going pretty well uh, we'll probably get something up in the next week or so maybe sooner depending on my timing I got to go out of town for work for a few days this week so coming up it's gonna be kind of busy but uh, Dreamweaver it's it's a lot of fun and I'm enjoying learning about it Spent um, Friday, took a day off work this past Friday, and spent most of the day at a local movie theater. They have a uh, annual movie marathon there. All day, basically, you can see any movie you want to see. And it's a uh, children's leukemia benefit thing. You donate a certain amount of money, and you get to go see any movie you want to see. So a friend of mine and I went. We went last year, and we went again this year. We saw five movies, and I, I tried to record a little bit of uh, what was going on, and it, I didn't record a lot at the movies, but I may use that on a Wednesday show in the near future. But needless to say, I got caught up on every movie that's out pretty much. Saw Da Vinci Code, saw Poseidon, saw Over the Hedge, saw that new movie, The Breakup. Uh, a lot of a lot of this stuff isn't really sci-fi talk, but I just thought you guys might be interested. Most of them were pretty good movies. Actually, I, I, I really enjoyed the Da Vinci book when I read it, and I thought the movie was uh, better than I'd been hearing. Uh, you got to be careful with critics sometimes they're they're critics they're overcritical i think in a way i thought they did a really good job of adapting the book i mean there was that book is fairly involved and i think they put the main emphasis and what you really needed to see in the 
you know, from the book into the movie. So I thought they did a great job, and I really enjoyed that one. Poseidon was about what I thought it would be. Um, So that's, uh, you know, I saw X-Men again, too, for the second time, which actually didn't, you know, it's kind of, it didn't bother me as much the second time as it did the first, I guess, maybe because the surprises weren't there anymore. But it's not a really bad movie. It's just, I think it could have been better, and it, it does seem a little short to me, so... But that was what I did Friday. And uh, as usual, I'm still tweaking around with the uh, audio on the show. I've got the mic in a little different position again today, trying to uh, get the quality uh, you know, as good as I can for everyone. The show, again, will be uh, yeah, probably about an hour long this week. Uh, let me give you a little bit of a heads up of what's coming up on the show. The, the main Star Trek topic is going to be, of course, the original series episode Space Seed with Ricardo Montalban as Khan which is going to be a lot of fun to talk about. I'm looking forward to that. Got a couple little emails to go over here first, I think. And, of course, we'll have a small collectible segment at the end, sponsored in part by youbynow.com. Go to youbynow.com and save 10% by using the Trek SF or Treks and Sci-Fi code for all of your collecting needs. So right now we're going to switch over to talking about a couple of emails. Incoming transmission, Captain. First email I wanted to mention is uh, also another one from uh, someone who's written before, Tiffany Black. She said, this is about last last week's movie show that I did. Uh, She says, wow, did your show bring back some fond memories? I was the perfect age to enjoy the never-ending story when it first came out. I was nine years old. I really wanted my own personal good luck dragon. Mm, I I think I'll put the DVD on as soon as I finish finish listening to your podcast. Well, thanks, Tiffany. Uh, yeah, the never-ending story. I I really like that movie. I, I thought it's very charming. Uh, has a lot of nice fantasy elements and kind of like that generation's in a way. I think I said something like comparing it to The Wizard of Oz a little bit. Uh, it has a little feel like that, and I I think young children especially could really get into it. So thanks for your email, uh, Tiffany. The next uh, email here is from uh, my friend Jim Wong again, who's written a few times. It says Rico, thanks again for the great work. I listened to your uh, podcast number one a second time. Wow, way back at podcast number one, this was the one I talked about the city on the edge of forever episode, and the changes for the city resulted in a more dramatic and emotional story than the original script by Harlan. If Spock stopped Kirk or McCoy from saving Earth, it would not have worked. It is clear that Kirk had to be the one to stop McCoy, thereby making the correct decision and ultimate sacrifice when the moment required it. Anyone else, the story would have lacked the drama and emotion. I actually teared up when I watched that episode as a youngster. McCoy, in, in place of the Beckworth character, which was in Harlan's original script, was a brilliant change resulting in more drama because there was already the established relationship between Kirk, Spock, and McCoy and between Edith and McCoy in the episode. I definitely think City was the best of any of the Star Trek episodes. Yeah, the um, thanks thanks much for your email, uh, Jim. Yeah, that that's definitely my favorite uh, of the original series. I mean, it's really hard to pick a favorite. I like so many of them, but that episode just has so much power and emotion. And the thing I like about it too is it's not really a traditional Star Trek episode. It's quite a bit different. And the whole idea of the Guardian of Forever and that one person has to be sacrificed, even if it's someone that um, Kirk loved, to save the the future of, of mankind, basically, uh, is, is a is a huge, dramatic uh, situation, you know, just ripe for uh, an episode like that. So thanks very much for, uh, for that email, Jim. 
All right, before we get, that's about all I had for email. There are a couple of other short ones, but I've responded to them. Uh, this was kind of a quieter email week. So a couple other little things I wanted to mention again. Uh, please check out the website. Join the forums. Uh, we've got a new newsletter going out called Horizon by one of the members Morales is working on, which is really great about keeps you up to date on all the sci-fi news. And keep checking the website. Like I said, I'm going to make some changes there soon and incorporate some new things and new features on the on the pages, so check that out at uh, treksf.com. And of course, you can always email me uh, if you've got any questions or audio comments you want to send into the show. That's uh, the email, of course, is treksf at gmail.com. And the voicemail line you can always use is 206 88 treks. What I wanted to do though here is I'm going to play a little bit of a song that um, there's a group called, uh, this is a very strange group name. It's the, the name of the musical group is called Ukla the Mock. O-O-K-L-A, The Mock, M-O-K. It's very unusual, but they have a very neat sound, and they do a lot of sort of, I guess you could call them sort of geek songs about uh, comic books and Star Trek uh, and just being a geek. Uh, It's it's really good stuff. I learned about it from uh, Mer Lafferty, who does a podcast called uh, Geek Fu Action Grip, who is a... a, a, um, uh, a woman, a, a mom, and a geek, and loves gaming, and, and she does podcasts. Really, really good. She, she's a writer by trade, and she writes some good stuff. She writes in a uh, comic that I read called Knights of the Dinner Table about a group of guys that play D&D, which is also a great book, by the way. Uh, definitely check that out if you ever get a chance, if you're a, a, an RPG, a pen and paper RPG player. Uh, but Murr talked about this uh, in a recent essay she wrote for Knights of the Dinner Table, this group, Ukla the Mock. And they had this song about our, our favorite Klingon, Mr. Worf. And I was going to play a little bit for you of this. I'll, I'll link it in the podcast notes so you know where to, where to find about more about them. Here is uh, Ukla the Mock and their song about Mr. Worf. So listen to this. He's only 12 years old And all the other children are mind-controlled We'll lead the crew What are we to do When the enemy ship comes into view When the pressure's on we'll take the gun Jordy's visor's on the blink Deanna Troy's on the brink O'Brien's been reassigned To Deep Space Nine Barkley's on the holodeck Tasha's dead and rolls around Ship comes into view. Who's to be obeyed when the Borg invade? This is just what I was afraid of. Mr. Isn't that uh, just great? I just think that's just the greatest thing. 
uh, the, the song really uh, is is good. The rest of it's great too. I played about half of it there. Um, again, Ookla the Mock O O K L A. You can find them on iTunes. You can also get their CDs through CD Baby, which actually this morning, uh, before I started the show here, I ordered a couple of their CDs. And that one's, um, that song, Mr. Wharf, I think is there on their CD called uh, OK LA or something like that. You'll find it. I'll link it in the podcast notes, but uh, I really, really like it. It's really, really good stuff. So it's kind of has sort of a, reminds me of this uh, singer, Jonathan Colton, who does a lot of uh music online uh, he does this show called a thing a week right now where he releases these different songs uh that just really hit on pop culture and things like that i really really like it so there you go hope you enjoyed that little musical interlude now we're going to get into of course my favorite st- subject uh star trek and the first season specifically i'm going to play the preview uh, again this is about a minute long for the episode we're going to talk about for this week is Space Seed from Season 1 of the original series. So listen to the preview here, and I'll be back to talk about the show. Captain's Log, Stardate 3142.3. Slightly over two centuries ago, a group of scientists planned for a race of supermen and created conquistadors. Name, Khan Nunian Singh. From 1992 through 1996, absolute ruler of more than a quarter of your world. Well, either choke me or cut my throat. You fled. Why were you afraid? I've never been afraid. But you left at the very time mankind needed courage. We offered the world order. I intend to take this ship. Will you assist me? Oh, please, Khan, don't ask me. Leave me, then. The battle begins again. Only this time is not a whirlwind. It's the universe. Happy. You're no match for me. It does not matter. The captain is dead. Okay, so there you have the uh, preview, video preview for this episode, this Space Seed, uh, starring Ricardo Montalban uh, in one of the best guest starring roles in the original series, for uh, playing the part of Khan Noonien Singh. Let me uh, tell you a little bit, give you a bit of background on this episode. It was from a story by someone named Carrie Wilbur. The, the writer of the script was Gene Kuhn and Carrie Wilbur. There are some differences between the original story. Uh, in the original story, the character of Khan was named Erickson and more of a Viking-type character. The, there were some differences. You know, they wanted to, to say he was... He, he basically spent more time capturing the ship and, you know, imprisoning the crew and, and, and taking off with the ship than they do in the final uh, storyline, which... I think is more interesting this way because it's more of a battle of wills throughout the show between uh, Kirk and Khan. Sorry, I got interrupted there for a second. Uh, so I was saying, you know, there were some di- definitely some differences between the original story and what they ended up with here. They, the Botany Bay was really more of a ship full of criminals rather than uh, these eugenic supermen and women uh, leaving Earth, you know, on their own to try to escape. Uh, Carrie Wilbur had originally envisioned that the Earth in the future, slight future, uh, early 21st century or so, the due to overpopulation in that, criminals would be put into these sort of cedar ships, seed ships, and kind of tossed out into space, which it kind of doesn't really make all that much sense that you would take uh, a very sophisticated, expensive spaceship and 
throw criminals on it, you know, I, I, and all you could really do is get rid of maybe a hundred or a couple hundred at a time. I mean, was that really going to make a difference in overpopulation? So the, you know, the real story in Spacey, the way they ended up with was that Khan, when, you know, the eugenics war kind of ended and they took off to get to escape Earth, that they got a hold of this, you know, the ship, the Botany Bay, and escaped from Earth on their own. You know, they took the ship, they did it themselves, not being outcasts or criminals, but more like, uh, I guess, escaping uh, refugees, whatever you want to call it, to get away from Earth and then to try to find a planet that they could settle on. And then they threw themselves onto the ship, uh, putting themselves into a sus- suspended animation and just to see what would happen. And, you know, Khan's a risk taker and, you know, he's bred and for superior physical strength, intelligence and that. So he, he felt it was a calculated risk, I guess. So the the thing that most people know, of course, about this episode is that this was the genesis ep- for Star Trek II, probably the best of the Star Trek movies, The Wrath of Khan. And Harv Bennett, when he got uh, got a hold of working on the Star Trek franchise, he fil- or he he viewed the film of several uh, Star Trek episodes, and he really really was impressed by the character of Khan. And he thought by the end of the episode, especially, it was ripe for a sort of a sequel or a follow up and. He really, really liked Ricardo Montalban and liked the the situation between and the conflict between Kirk and Khan, and of course that became Star Trek II, uh, the movie Star Trek II. But let's talk more about Space Seed now specifically. I'm going to play uh, a clip here, which is near the beginning of the episode when they are, I think they're boarding the Botany Bay at this point. They're going over there and seeing what's going on in that ship and trying to learn. Uh, they, they pick up some slight life signs, and so... A few people, along with Kirk, of course, beam over and check it out. So listen to this. Definitely Earth-type mechanism, sir. 20th century vessel. Old-type atomic power. Bulky, solid. I think they used to call them transistor units. I'd love to tear this baby apart. Captain, it's a sleeper ship. Suspended animation? Uh-huh. I've seen no photographs of this. Necessary because of the time involved in space travel until about the year 2018. It took years just to travel from one planet to another. Is it possible they're still alive? After centuries of travel? Theoretically possible. I've never heard of it being tested for this long a period. What a handsome group of people. Oh, I should have mentioned that uh, other uh, female voice in this clip is Lieutenant Marla MacGyver, played by Madeline Rue, uh, who is uh, very important to this episode. She's a, a historian aboard the Enterprise, and they use her to, to gain knowledge and to learn about that period in time and history, although they use the computer system a lot to learn about Khan. But MacGyver comes over to the Botany Bay and is is very taken with the the passengers and of course Khan specifically because she she studies famous men in history and she's kind of has sort of a romantic notion about that time period and of course as the story goes on in this episode she became you know she becomes kind of smitten and romantically involved with Khan and eventually she is is what helps him take control of the ship but that's getting a little ahead of ourselves the, there's an interesting thing in that clip if you watch this episode anytime soon but when kirk uh, leans over it's um more when he's getting con out of his little you know sleeper cell there 
but his phaser falls off of his uh, his belt. Uh, you know, they use Velcro to attach phasers to the belts that they wore on, in, you know, and throughout the various uh, episodes of the series. And a lot of times that Velcro, of course, didn't, you know, hold the phasers on very well. And if you bumped them or, or were jarred or something like that, they'd fall off. But there's a scene there where his phaser falls off uh, his belt and McCoy kind of looks down at the floor for a second and then looks back up and wonders if they're going to keep that take of uh, of what they film, but it's kind of a funny little... There, You know, there's usually two or three of those little things like that in each Star Trek episode and probably in about every TV episode of things that, if you look real carefully and if you know about it, you'll see it. If you don't, you might not notice it, and they usually... A lot of times they leave them in, so... Uh, but the character of MacGyver is, is, is very important to this, uh, to this episode. Uh, I'm going to play another clip real right now with... Um, this is right after Khan... Uh, has been taken back to the ship, and he's he's sort of revived, and McCoy's talked about how good his constitution is, and he's a lot stronger, and they start to suspect he's he's a little bit more than human, I guess is, is what you want to call it. And the you know the it's an interesting uh, topic, this whole thing about uh, genetic manipulation and creating a race of of super beings, super men, super women. Especially these days with DNA mapping and genetics, and it's you know it's getting more and more of that uh, you know being able to do that kind of a thing. Obviously, you know people can check to see if their unborn children might be you know they have some kind of a problem genetically. Uh, I don't um, I don't know how too you know how far it's going to be or how long it's going to be before you can do things to manipulate genetics to the point where. You can create a uh, a child for yourself that's that's stronger, smarter, you know, whatever uh, th- than the average. Uh, it's it's really not that beyond science right now, and it's I don't know. That's uh, it's a kind of a scary idea a little bit. So I, I just thought I'd throw that out there. This is this is a lot about this episode, and you can see by the twenty third century, at least in Star Trek's um, era, and you know, sort of frame of reference that they don't do that. And, and Khan makes some comments about that, and I think it's kind of interesting. I'll talk about those in a few. But the next clip, though, when Khan wakes up, this is in uh, Sick Bay after he's been taken back to the Enterprise, and I think the scene is between, uh, yeah, it's a conversation really between uh, Captain Kirk and Khan. So listen to this. James Kirk, commanding the Starship Enterprise. I see. And your name? I have a few questions first. What is your heading? Our heading is Starbase 12, a planet in the Gamma 400 star system. Our command base in this sector. Is that of any use to you? And, um, my people? 72 of your life support canisters are still functioning. revive them as soon as we reach starbase 12 i see and now khan is my name khan nothing else khan what was the exact date of your liftoff we know it was sometime in the early 1990s but i find myself growing fatigued doctor May we continue this questioning at some other time? The facts I need, Mr. Khan, will take very little time. For example, the nature of your expedition... Jim, a little later might be better. 
Captain, I wonder if I could have something to read during my convalescence. I was once an engineer of sorts. I would be most interested in studying the technical manuals on your vessel. Yes, I understand. You have 200 years of catching up to do. <laughs> Precisely. Yeah, they have, uh, have a really good uh, back and forth uh, rapport. Well, not really rapport, I guess, but... Just the between Kirk and Khan in this episode, between Ricardo Montalban and William Shatner, it's really good. It's it's sort of a mutual respect, uh, but you know, there's there's this adversarial thing going on even right from the beginning. There, you can kind of sense it a little bit, and they really do a good job with that. Uh, the the one thing at the end, towards the end of that, <clears throat> excuse me, the end of that scene that has kind of always bothered me just a little bit about this episode was okay. This guy wakes up. And, you know, he asked, hey, can I look at your, you know, technical journals on your ship? Well, you don't know anything about this guy and what you're going to you're going to send, you know, let him look at every little, you know, detail on the Enterprise and, you know, what makes her tick and and what you would need to do uh, if you wanted to take over. I mean, he basically learns everything about the ship that way. And it really uh, it really is what helps him take control of the Enterprise later on in the episode. I think it would have been better to use Marla MacGyver's. I mean, she probably obviously knows enough about the Enterprise that she could have, you know, they could have made some offhand comment that she told him how to do these things rather than him sitting there in sick bay, laying on his back, reading all about how to take control of the bridge and seal it off and like he does later on in the episode. But, yeah, that's a little thing. And it, and it comes into play a little bit, uh, you know, even in Star Trek II that, that he's he knows enough about starships and things even at, you know, even though they've advanced quite a bit between the original series and the movies, but that that's what allows him to, you know, basically when he first attacks the Enterprise in Star Trek II, I don't want to get off on that too much because I've done that before, but you know, it allows him to you know target certain areas of the ship that he knows are vulnerable and what he can do to to take it over and 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 hurt them. So anyway. Uh, just kind of a little thing. I mean, I, I just don't see you handing, a, you know, some basic ideas. Here's the corridor. Here's where, uh, you know, the cafeteria is. Here's where certain things are. But, uh, you know, you wouldn't be you wouldn't be giving him specs for the ship and, and details on how to do things and systems and that. So, but, you know, maybe he could hack in. Who knows? Whatever. A little point. Uh, let's go on. There's um, a really good scene where they, they basically have Khan to a sort of a dinner party in his honor to some degree. They, they don't really still fully know completely about him at this point. They're, Spock mentions in the episode that the records from the, the time frame and the era of the 90s and, you know, the, during the eugenic, eugenic wars uh, in, in Earth's past are kind of spotty. Those records aren't all that clear. So that's their excuse, at least to begin with, about why they don't first immediately know who Khan is and what he was all about. But they have a little dinner party, which is a really good scene and has some more good conflict between uh, Kirk and Khan and Mr. Spock. It's um, got some good audio, and I'm going to play that for you now. I know something of those years. Remember, it was a time of great dreams, of great aspirations. Under dozens of petty dictatorships. One man would have ruled eventually. As Rome under Caesar, think of its accomplishments. Then your sympathies were with... You are an excellent tactician, Captain. You let your second in command attack while you sit and watch for weakness. 
You have a tendency to express ideas in military terms, Mr. Khan. This is a social occasion. <laughs> it has been said that uh, social occasions are only warfare concealed. Many prefer it more honest, more open. You fled. Why were you afraid? I've never been afraid. But you left at the very time mankind needed courage. We offered the world order. We. Excellent. Excellent. Yeah, good, good stuff there. I really enjoyed the, uh, you know, even Spock getting into talking to Khan and, and Khan's comment about how Kirk was was basically setting him up to see how he react and i think that was kind of true I, you know they they had that uh, happen in, in quite a few episodes of star trek where kirk spock basically sort of double teamed up on on some opponent in a way to talk to them and see how they'd react and and that was a good example of that situation and, and con you can see he's pretty wise he doesn't really fall for it and what is it about these you know kind of uh ricardo montalban antonio banderas these guys uh have charisma just oozing out of them. I, it's 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 pretty interesting. I, I I you know really enjoy the accents and and all that stuff. You know I am Antonio Banderas and I am Khan. It's just uh, really really good fit. I'm I'm so glad that they went with this type of character rather than the the Viking type of uh, idea and this Erickson character. I just I think he's just a lot more of an interesting situation. Anyway, let's move on. The The next clip I've got for you is, this is, uh, they do finally figure out who Khan really is, digging through the library computer and, and finding more information, and that's the next one. This is uh, called Learning More About Khan, so I'll play it for you now. Name? Khan, as we know him today. Name? Khan Nunian Singh. From 1992 through 1996, absolute ruler of more than a quarter of your world. From Asia through the Middle East. The last of the tyrants to be overthrown. I must confess, gentlemen, I've always held a sneaking admiration for this one. He was the best of the tyrants and the most dangerous. They were supermen in a sense. Stronger, braver, certainly more ambitious, more daring. Gentlemen, this... Romanticism about a ruthless dictator is... But Spock, we humans have a streak of barbarism in us. Appalling, but there, nevertheless. There were no massacres under his rule. And as little freedom. No wars until he was attacked. Gentlemen. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Spock, you misunderstand us. We can be against him and admire him all at the same time. Illogical. Totally. I like that uh, situation there where they sort of put on Spock a little bit. You know, it's and it's true. You there, you know, there's many times, you know, there's probably many historical figures that you can kind of admire in a way you, even though you don't really completely agree with what they're what they were all about or their policies. It's uh it, it's sort of interesting uh, situation and you know, Khan was this dictator. You know, he had uh, an iron hand, a firm rule of uh the part of the world he was in control of during the that period of time, at least in Star Trek's history, 
but of course it was it was you know an iron fist there was there was no freedom there was no real living there you had to do what he wanted you to do you had to go where he wanted you to go and and think the way he wanted you to think and that's that's just not right i mean that's and, and you know that's kind of uh you know those kind of situations have taken place throughout history where uh some you know ruler or government has tried to you know impose their beliefs and impose impose all their views upon you and you know it was kind of one of the you know founding principles of america really freedom of the individual freedom of speech and well now i'm getting on my i'm i'm waving a flag i really am you don't see it but i'm waving a flag here sorry i it's um but it's it's sort of an easy parallel to make uh and and i'm not saying the last thing i'll say about it i'm not saying you there's total freedom in america that's certainly not the case or even anywhere but uh I think, um, you know, there's a lot to be seen between the two situations, the parallel of, of that and what's going on in this episode. And I'm just getting off on a complete tangent, so we're going to go back to Star Trek. <laughs> anyway, um, let's go on. The The next clip here, so by this point in the episode, of course, they realize Khan's, ooh, this guy's pretty bad, and they, they got to keep uh, a tight leash on him so that, you know, they don't want anything to happen, and they, they just realize he's probably up to something he's a he's a eugenically eugenically created super being with you know it's it's kind of like more power more ambition becomes a threat and it's uh or or i should say that this absolute power corrupts absolutely kind of a phrase a little bit so anyway they're worried about him and they lock him up pretty much at least confine him to quarters and then Kirk comes uh, to talk to him to just really try to feel him out and see what's you know what he's thinking, what's in his head, and try to see if is he still bent on basically taking over the you know the universe or Earth or whatever. And this scene pretty much uh, sets the tone for you know the answer to that. So listen to this. Uh, my door locked from outside, a guard posted. Unusual treatment for Khan, Nuni, and Singh. Excellent. You identified me with your computer system, I imagine. I'd like those answers now. First, the purpose of your starflight. A new life, a chance to build the world. Uh, Other things I doubt you would understand. Why? Because I'm not a product of controlled genetics. Captain, although your abilities intrigue me, you are quite honestly inferior, mentally, physically. In fact, I am surprised how little improvement there has been in human evolution. Oh, there has been technical advancement, but uh, how little man himself has changed. Yes, it appears we will do well in your century, Captain. Do you have any other questions? Thank you. They've all been answered. So it's it's pretty easy to see, and and from what you hear there in that scene, that you know, Khan's he, he's very disappointed that mankind has not improved itself more in the couple of centuries that have gone by. You know, he and and it's really in a way kind of naive and and silly for him to think that because the whole eugenics war was basically about these 
these eugenically, eugenically, uh, genetically, excuse me, genetically enhanced and created human beings uh, that were created, and and people realized these people would become a threat, that they would have ambitions and want to take things, you know, take over and impose their their views and beliefs upon everyone else, and that to for him to think that they would, you know, he would he would wake up in a couple hundred years and there'd be all these, you know genetically enhanced humans running around was it was kind of a yeah just not really very smart of him i guess in a way to think about that because obviously mankind stopped that kind of practice and outlawed it uh, centuries ago you know there's there's a lot to be said for you know maybe making slight tweaks to people you know hey if somebody was going to have a you know a hearing problem or a sight problem you know maybe they could take care of those things but to to really you know advance humans to the point of cons type people was was stopped and won't won't really take place or isn't taking place any further the next uh, scene this um by the time uh you know they've learned this about Khan, he's already sort of got a plan in motion he's he's got uh, marlo macgyver's basically wrapped around his finger and he has uh a plan set in you know in motion and he's learned all about the enterprise and things like that so he gets control of the ship and the next scene is after that's or just about as that's happened and kirk and company are on the bridge and he's con sealed the bridge off and is going to slowly uh, suck the air out of the bridge and in in sort of anticipation or trying to get control of the enterprise and well i'll just play the scene it'll be easier here we go your ship is mine I have shut off the live support system to your bridge, jammed up your exit routes. I am willing to negotiate. Flood all decks with neural gas. Impossible. Intruder control systems inoperative. Mr. Khan was very thorough in his study of our tech manuals. Contact Starbase 12. All channels are totally jammed, Captain. Contingency anticipated. Your air should be getting quite thin by now. You surrender the bridge. Negative. Academic, Captain. Refuse and every person on the bridge will suffocate. Of course Kirk won't give up the bridge. Come on, Khan, you should know better than that. Uh, and, and Khan kind of admires Kirk. To, to some degree, even though, of course, he feels he's vastly superior to Captain Kirk, and he said that several times throughout the episode. Uh, it's it's interesting because, you know, Khan's stronger, in a way smarter, but the, there's one thing that's always really been, and is his downfall, both in this and even in Star Trek II to some degree, and that that's, and, and it, I think, comes with the territory of being this super being, this eugenically created, you, there I go again, genetically enhanced human, is that he has a tremendous ego, and he's susceptible to basically being conned to some degree. Hey, get it? Conned, conned, and that—that's really his downfall. He—he he gets sucked in, and that's—that's that's how he, you know, really Kirk kind of, de, you know, defeats him in this. And I'm going to play a little clip of that, even though it's a little hard to uh, to tell what happens. But for those that have seen this episode, remember uh, they have a basically have a fight in, and then Kirk defeats him, which I'll play the clip like I said in a minute here. By using a, a tool, he he finds a a little metal bar kind of a deal in in engineering, pulls it out of a panel and and whacks Khan over the you know back and head with it, 
And it's like, okay, you know what? I don't need to fight you with my fist. You're obviously stronger than me, but I'm smarter. Well, not really smarter, but he's a little more cunning, Kirk is. And and he's a little more savvy, you know. And, and he doesn't let the ego, uh, you know, like Khan has, doesn't let that uh, really suck him into things. Kirk's never really had that issue. He's never let his ego get the better of him. And that's ultimately what, what what makes him really a good commander is that he can see past that. He doesn't allow that to happen. He utilizes his his crew when he needs to. He utilizes his ship when he needs to. And he's he, that's what makes him the best captain out there. And that's really what, what helps him to defeat Khan here. Khan's just overconfident. That's probably the simplest way to put it. Because of his abilities in that, he's he's a little overconfident, and, and, and that ends up being his downfall. It's kind of a parallel i'm just sort of thinking of right off the top of my head here but was you know kind of like with anakin uh, in the third star wars movie revenge of the sith he becomes overconfident in his abilities and when obi-wan and anakin are fighting you know having the big lightsaber duel there on the lava planet uh, mustafar that's really what anakin's downfall is he he feels very overconfident in his abilities and that's what allows obi-wan to defeat him and that's that's a mistake, and it's it's another reason why Luke is able at the end of Return of the Jedi uh, to to sort of fight off and not really be swayed by the Emperor is that he doesn't feel that way. He has friends, and he isn't overconfident like that, and that's why he wins and really pulls his father back to, from the uh, dark side. So that's an interesting. I never really thought about that, but that, there's a lot of parallels there uh, between the two situations. I think interesting. So, now let me play the uh, the bit of the fight here. The, again, this isn't really the greatest audio here because you hear a lot of grunts and groans of Kirk and Khan fighting, but there's a couple of good lines in it, and I thought I'd play some of it for you. So, here you go. I have five times your strength. You're a match for me. Yeah, Khan had uh, set up an overload in the engines there. Of course, you know, just from the reading the tech journals on the Enterprise, here, push this button, throw that switch, and and boom, you can set the engines to overload. Uh, but Kirk, of course, stops him like I described there, clubs him. And, and you know, the, the thing that I'd heard about Star Trek II, which is, and I may have mentioned this before when I talked about that movie, was Khan and Kirk were supposed to have another sort of brawl or or confrontation, direct confrontation in the movie rather than just ship to ship like they do in in the movie. They were supposed to actually, uh, Khan was, uh, I think, probably going to be, was lured back down to the Genesis planet uh, when Kirk is, you know, yelling, Khan, come down here, you got to come down here and all that, that they couldn't get a lock on the Genesis torpedo and Khan had to come down and they have a little fight or something like that was supposed to have taken place and there's something kind of satisfying about a good old fist fight, and, and even though Khan's a lot stronger than Kirk, like I said already, he Khan, or Kirk gets the the upper hand because uh, he's he's not overconfident and he he knows he knows what he needs to do, and of course it's his ship on the line, and nothing's going to take Kirk's ship away from him. So that, that's the movie, or that's the movie. <laughs> that's the that's the space seed. I'm gonna I've got one more clip for you, which is a fairly long one. It's a couple minutes, but this is the end of the episode and very important. 
because this kind of sets up what happens uh, for Star Trek Two. You know, they they take them to City Alpha Five. They talk about that, and that Marla goes with him, and ultimately, of course, be, must become Khan's wife, but dies on the planet. Oh, one last thing I wanted to mention: the whole Chekhov thing between Chekhov not really being in this episode, but recognizing Khan. And I again, I think I said this on that that podcast when I talked about Star Trek Two. You know, the Enterprise is a big ship. There, there's no reason that Chekhov wasn't still on the Enterprise, even though when he wasn't part of the bridge crew until uh, the second season. So there's no reason that Chekhov wouldn't have known about Khan, maybe even had seen him, you know, or whatever at some point on the ship or run into each other. So, you know, that's, you know, it's a little bit of a stretch. Yeah, it was never seen or shown on the episode. But uh, the the other interesting thing is Sulu isn't really in this episode much at all either. So, uh that's uh, that's kind of an interesting thing. But uh, let me play the last clip for you. I'm going to play this, and then I'm going to come back and kind of wrap it up, and we'll get on to talk about a little bit about a collectible, a new one that I got. So here's the last, the ending of Space Seed. I declare all charges and specifications in this matter have been dropped. Jim. Reed, you have the authority. Mr. Spock, I believe our heading takes us near the Sete Alpha star system. Quite correct, Captain. Planet number five there is habitable, although a bit savage, somewhat inhospitable. But no more than Australia's Botany Bay colony was at the beginning. Those men went on to tame a continent, Mr. Khan. Can you tame a world? Have you ever read Milton, Captain? Yes. I understand. Lieutenant... Marla McGavins. Given a choice of court-martial or accompanying them there. It will be difficult. A struggle at first, even to stay alive, to find food. I'll go with him, sir. Superior woman. I will take her. And I've gotten something else I wanted. The world to win, an empire to build. The hearing is closed. for a good Scotsman to admit it, but I'm not up on Milton. The statement Lucifer made when he fell into the pit is it's better to rule in hell than serve in heaven. Huh. It would be interesting, Captain, to return to that world in a hundred years and learn what crop had sprung from the seed you planted today. Yes, Mr. Spark. It would indeed. So there you have it, Space Seed with Ricardo Montalban as Khan. Truly one of the best and, and most interesting guest starring uh, villains and guest, just guest stars in general on the original series. Yeah, I'm going to take a very, very quick break here, but I'll be back to talk about uh, a recent new collectible that I picked up and a few other things. So stand by, I'll be back in a minute. 
I'm Brad. I'm Glenn. And I'm Christina. And we're from the Pod Culture Podcast and PodCulture.net. Right now you're listening to the Treks and Sci-Fi. When you're done here and you find yourself hungry for some more geeky goodness, head on over and check us out at PodCulture.net and at our forums located at BluegrassBrownCoats.net. From A-plus shows to grade Z movies and everything else in between, like comics and video games, we'll be rambling on about whatever happens to be going on in our geek worlds. With segments like What's in Your DVD Player, Brad's Rants, and Geek Cuisine, along with the occasional special musical guest, there's something for the geek in us all. So let your geek flag fly, and head on out to our little corner of the verse. www.podculture.net Podculture. Equal opportunity geekness. Be seeing you. Okay, I'm back. I know you missed me, right? Ah, I hope so. Anyway, uh, the uh, the collectible for this week. This one's a little bit different. Uh, back in last, I guess it was last December, the movie uh, The Chronicles of Narnia came out, and the company uh, Master Replicas put out several nice collectibles for that, some very small ones, uh, miniature-sized collectibles that are only in, like, $30, $35 range. They also do mini lightsabers also that are in that price range, which are, which are really nice. They are just they come in little cases and really a nice way to have a collectible and not spend a huge amount of money. But the collectible that I got from Narnia, this is from, you know, the the movie The Lion, the Witch, and Wardrobe, is the White Witch's Wand, which Master Replicas also did. And this is uh, a really, really nice piece. I just got it uh, actually came to me Thursday, I think, this past week. Yeah, it's. Uh, I was kind of looking at this for a while and wanted to pick it up, but I, I wasn't too thrilled with the price. I thought it was a little high for what, what it was. It was, I think, originally $249, $250. Uh, I got it actually off of eBay for $125 or $130, which was a really, really good deal, I thought. But let me tell you a little bit about the collectible. It's a, um, a one-to-one scale replica, I think, of the White Witch Wand from the Narnia movie. And, I'll, of course, there'll be photos up in the collection gallery and some in the uh, a link to those in the podcast notes. But uh, it's made out of uh, both metal and resin. You know, if you remember, if you've seen the movie, you know what the wand looked like. It had these icy-looking uh, crystal areas in the ends of it on the top and the bottom, and it's got a very ornate and intricate pattern uh, of metal uh, interwoven throughout the wand. Uh, it's made out of, uh, like I said, steel and and plastic resin materials, uh, and they do a really good job. The neat thing about that they did with Master Replicas on this is, it comes in three pieces: uh, the top, the middle section, and the bottom. And you screw the three together to form the wand. But because of the way it's the the way the wand looks, you don't really notice that these these pieces are separate pieces. Once it's put together, you don't really you know you don't see really seams or anything like that. It's really nice, and it also kept the the shipping box, you know, not being this really long thing. I think the the overall length of the wand is about three and a half feet or so, approximately. To me, it just looks just a tiny bit shorter than it did in the movie. I I think it was supposed to have been a one to one scale replica, as far as I know. But uh, don't completely quote me on that. You know, they, they maybe just notched it down just a little bit. I don't. I'm not completely positive which way that went but it's still very nice looks about the right size it's hard for me to judge i'm fairly tall and i don't know the white witch uh forget the actress's name who played her in, in narnia is maybe not as tall as me so when she's holding it maybe it looked bigger but 
anyway, they did a really great job, and it comes with a uh, a nice little plaque that you can mount on the wall that I did, and it, you can hang it on that with a with a little plaque. Uh, I got like number nine ninety one. I don't know how many of these it made, two or three thousand, I think they made or so. Uh, but anyway, they're still available. Uh, both, uh, I, I would suggest eBay actually. I think you can buy them off Master Replica's website, but I think you'll pay more there. But if you look on eBay, there's there's quite a few bargains out there these days on some of these items. So check it out. Uh, the White Witch Wand from Narnia and made by Master Replicas. Really, really good job, and I'm really got a bargain on it, so I'm happy about that. So uh, that's the collectible for this week. few other things I wanted to talk about, and then we'll be signing off for this week's edition. Uh, the I think I mentioned this before, but again, I want to mention the forums. Got some new members on the forums on, on the treksf.com website. Just go to the forums link there, sign up. Uh, and I think I talked about this maybe last week, but I created a new members-only section that I'm posting some some little video clips from conventions and, and other little Star Trek tidbits, uh, some occasional uh, music, uh, things like that. Just just little bits uh, that I thought would be interested uh, or interesting to people. But for the forum members only, uh, that's in that section. So you definitely uh, want to join up there. And, and please, again, take a look at the podcast notes. Uh, I try to each week spend a, a little bit of time to make sure that's detailed and talks about all the things or links you to things that I've talked about, like the Ookla group, uh, Ookla the Mock, I'll put in the this week's podcast notes. If you want to learn more about them, I'll have a link there about the group and where you need to go to to buy some of their music since it's so cool. So, uh, and um, that's probably just about going to wrap it up for this week. Oh, I did. Uh, I did want to mention uh, more than likely, probably about ninety nine percent that there will not be a Wednesday show this week. I'm going to be out of town for work. It just will be pretty difficult to do a show unless something changes or I get back earlier. I'm getting back pretty late Wednesday, so there won't be a Wednesday show this week, but there will be, of course, a show next weekend. And next weekend's show, I think I've decided to do a episode of Star Trek Enterprise. haven't talked about that series yet, and I wanted to, to talk about it a little bit, maybe get people a little more into it. Uh, I thought what I would do is go through and, and talk about the pilot episode, the first episode of Enterprise next weekend bring up a few things about the show and just just talk about it in general what I thought about it and and over the course of the series how it, how I think it went down so next week Star Trek Enterprise pilot episode will be for next week's podcast and until then as usual everyone have a great week I hope uh, for those in school your school is probably winding down for everyone uh, those working like me nothing's really changed still working <laughs> But anyway, I really appreciate everyone listening to the show. I know there's there are tons and tons of podcasts out there, and you know that that you take some time to listen to my show. It, it's really nice, and I really appreciate it. And you know, send me an email, send me a comment about the show, what, something you might like to. I got a good suggestion actually on the forums from a member about something to do special for the Father's Day, uh, which is in two weeks, which will be for I don't know what it'll be around show fifty seven or so, fifty eight maybe depending if I do another Wednesday show. So I'm definitely open for suggestions about episodes to look at or other TV series. So, you know, send me an email, treksf at gmail.com. Oh, of course, it's June, so if anyone feels like voting for me on Podcast Alley, I'd really appreciate it. Got a few votes already, so I was happy to see that. Thank you for those that have voted so far and in the past, and 
there is a link off of the main page on the website that you can get right to the my my section on Podcast Alley. So again, I've rambled long enough, and I'm going to let everyone go. Hey, you guys have a good, great week, and I'll talk to you next weekend. This is Rico signing off for Treks in Sci-Fi. Bye-bye, everyone. This has been a Rick Dosti production. This podcast, copyright 2006, all rights reserved.